Hi there, Pastor Austin Vondracek here. Thank you for joining us at Rosewood Church Online. My prayer for you is that this message will be used by God to bless, teach, and challenge you today. And whether you call Rosewood home and are catching up on a past message, or you're one of our many long-distance partners who tune in every week, would you consider giving back to support the ministries and missions of Rosewood Church? You can do so easily through our website, rosewoodchurch.org. And if you're listening and you're local to the West Michigan area, we would love to have you in person when the time is right for you. Again, I pray this blesses you and helps you grow in your love of Jesus Christ. Well, my name is Austin Vondracek. Uh, I am one of the pastors here at Rosewood, and know many of you, but I can also tell many of you are, are joining us, you're, you're new, or maybe for many of you, you're, you're back home from school or wherever uh, life might take you, and welcome uh, to Rosewood Church. Uh, let me ask you, do you, uh, does anyone here know who invented coffee culture? All right. So uh, by coffee culture, I mean like uh, enjoying coffee with uh, someone you know, slow sips, and you know, mixing things just right, getting the tannins and whatever other chemistry goes into it. Does anyone know who started that? Wrong. Wrong. Good guess. Actually, it precedes it about uh, four to five hundred years. Uh, 16th century Christian monks created the culture that we, or really began the culture that we know today as coffee culture. If you are a coffee drinker, you have the Italian Capuchin monks to thank for it because they were the ones who understood that if you took espresso and mixed it with frothed milk, it was fantastic. They figured it out. And it was named Cappuccino, named after both their name, but also it kind of comes from the, the color of their robes. They would wear these light brown robes, and it was very similar to the, to the color of the concoction that they put together when they combined those ingredients. And so for, for my fellow coffee drinkers here, uh, coffee, and a, a specifically a, a nice, slow, good cup of coffee really represents uh, a simple pleasure in life. I wake up early every morning just so I can have a cup of coffee, maybe a couple, but just no one else is awake. No one else needs anything from me. I can just start my day nice and easy, nice and slow. However, there are some days, as you know, where uh, life just kind of comes at you fast and you got to get moving. And if you're a coffee drinker, you know those days where you just have to slam it because you know you can't really get through the day without it. And, and when you chug a hot cup of coffee, what used to represent such pleasure and joy and peace just feels like a, a brick stuck in your stomach. And if you don't drink coffee, uh, I'm sure you still, you have your ways of achieving a sense of kind of peaceful pleasure by enjoying the simple things. I mean, maybe it's a, you know, a cup of tea or a pop on a hot day or a nice, you know, warm bath where no one's trying to, trying to get your attention or, or just like sitting on the, maybe sitting on the beach listening to the waves, whatever it might be. Taking pleasure in the gifts that God has given to you and to me is certainly something that's worth giving thanks for and remembering, especially around now. 
The church, though, has uh, historically had somewhat of a complicated relationship uh, with, with pleasure. On the one hand, uh, pleasure is embraced through corporate worship and fellowship. Uh, we expect to receive a sense of, of pleasure or delight or just kind of a spiritual liftedness when we come to corporate worship or we engage in kind of fellowship with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, honestly, a miserable church is probably not going to be a very well attended uh, church. On the other hand, uh, the church has kind of garnered a reputation for being anti-pleasure. Righteous living is often described in the negative, not the positive. Don't do this. Don't do that. The borders are defined by what's beyond the borders, not what is within the borders. And and, uh, for instance, I I remember this story, and I can't even tell you uh, when this was occurring or where, but there there was a time in kind of Christian missionary life where, where some believed that pleasure was so evil and so uh, sinful that these missionaries would go around and they they would rely upon the the gifts and the food of of people that they would visit. And so they would uh, bring ashes with them. And if the food that was given to them uh, by their host was too good, they would sprinkle ashes on it to ruin the taste, just to make sure that there was not too much pleasure. Some operate from the assumption that if it feels good, uh, it must be bad. But God never said that. What we do find in Scripture are numerous references to taking pleasure and also to moderation. Uh, If... um, uh, For instance, I mean, just to to give you an example, too much alcohol leads to drunkenness. Too much leisure leads to to sloth. Uh, Too much food eventually you cross the line into into gluttony. And the pursuit of pleasures as the object of one's life is really a a functioning definition of idolatry. But from the outside looking in, some don't see our enjoyment of of things. Some don't see moderation. Uh, For instance, the satirical journalist H.L. Mencken uh, 100 years ago described Christians as, and I quote, uh, those with a haunting fear that someone, somewhere, might be happy. (laughs) In reality, though, the historical church has led the way of of the art of enjoyment and pleasure. I mean, cappuccinos are one, but the list doesn't stop there. Going back in time, you will find that the church and that our, our forefathers and foremothers in Christ, that they have, have been uh, pioneers of art and architecture and poetry and symbolism and music and even craft beer and wine. Uh, pleasure, it really is the, the human response that we all experience when we encounter beauty and goodness in our lives and in, li- our, and in the environment around us. Taking pleasure in the fruits of the world that God created and said, this is good, doesn't mean that you're sinful. It means that you're agreeing with the creator and joining in the chorus of the universe where God first said, this is good. Though you can do this anytime, Thanksgiving naturally turns our minds towards the pleasures and the joys in our life that we are especially thankful for. And if we don't have the eyes to see the simple, everyday 
ordinary pleasures that God puts before us, we will miss so many of God's gifts. And the simple pleasures in life really are, are pretty easy to miss, especially because I think, the, the, for one, the pace of life that most of us live, that, that the world kind of causes us to live, causes us to, to miss the pleasures before, and, and they come and they pass before we even realize that they were there. Uh, we live in a fast, busy, and distracted world that causes us to develop habits of inattentiveness just to survive, just to keep up with the flow of everyone else. Moments of pleasure like, for instance, a cup of coffee are instead taken to go and drank as fast as possible just to get the caffeine effects. Car rides are just, how do we get from A to B as fast as possible? Uh, Quiet evenings at home, rather than being spent resting, enjoying time with family or friends or just something for yourself. Instead, we feel like we got to keep busy. Why? Because if we're not busy, we feel guilty for not having done more. Uh, we, uh, uh, for instance, on a night like this where it's kind of windy and, you know, leaves are falling, what it should be is, look at the beauty of the changing colors and the sprinkling of leaves. Instead, it's like, oh my goodness, I'm going to have to rake when I get home from a Thanksgiving Eve service. Think about family dinners, how those have changed. There was a time when family dinners were the norm. Now it's like an aspiration. Maybe once this week, we'll get everybody together at the same time. We live fast and we have full schedules. On top of that, anxiety and needless worrying stands to rob us from uh, pleasure, perhaps more than anything else. We can be so consumed with controlling the outcomes of things that we have no control over in the future uh, that we aren't even given a chance to relax, take a breath, and remember the promises of God that even the birds have enough to eat and the petals have the, or the, bird, the flowers have the beauty of their petals, and yet our Heavenly Father loves you so much more than either of those. With hearts turned towards Thanksgiving, I want to just consider a new, a fresh idea or perspective to look at uh, or or to view thankfulness uh, this Thanksgiving season. It's the angle to see pleasure and thankfulness through the eyes of a child, where the simple things matter, aren't so easily missed, and also just aren't so easily forgotten. Our God describes himself to us as a father. And and not only just a father, but a father that loves unconditionally and a father that out of this unconditional love loves to give his children good gifts. Jesus says in Matthew 7, 11, that if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And Jesus' brother James tags onto that and he says in his letter, he says, every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. I mean, consider the, the, the breadth of the gifts that Jesus and James would have been referring to as they spoke and wrote those words. Uh, today, we might, we might read 
Jesus' words to mean that he was referring to himself, that, that, that the, the good gift that the Father gives us is in fact incarnate, that the good gift is Jesus himself, and that's how we might read that text, and we would be correct in doing so, that the greatest gift God had ever given us was his Son, his Son who would ultimately pay that final sacrifice for our sin. Yes, that gift was there for the original audience, though, They weren't at that point yet. Understanding that gift as Jesus sacrificed, it's clear in Scripture that as as Jesus spoke, people didn't realize this yet. And at this point, Jesus is speaking these words within the Sermon on the Mount early in his ministry. So as he says these things to the people, as they would have interpreted them in the moment, it would have been the experiential pleasures of life. And I believe that is still true today. Additionally, God tells us, Uh, not just that he is our father who loves to give us good gifts, but God tells us that as his children, we need to become literally like children. That's an interesting one. What does that mean, right? I've got a three-year-old. That means tantrums. You think that's what he means? What about dirty diapers? Maybe for some of us, but no. I think, I believe that the point is that we should strive to not lose our childlike wonder of the world, to not miss the goodness in even the most simple gifts that our Father gives us and lays before us to enjoy. Jesus says that we are to become like little children. He also says that we are to become like God himself. It's kind of interesting, those two parallel lines that run next to each other. We are to to become like children. We are also to become like God himself. In God, there is a childlike wonder. Just as a a piece or an art piece, when you look at a piece of art, you can see and understand a bit of the creator in that art. So it is for us as we look at creation and the beautiful things that God has given to us all across this world. We see the creator through the creation. In creation, we see a creator that is an enthusiastic child. Uh, Consider this thought from a century-old theologian named G.K. Chesterton in his, his book, Orthodoxy. He says, because children have abounding vitality, uh, because they are in spirit, fierce and free, therefore, they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. And the grown-up person does it until he is nearly dead. For grown-up people are not strong enough to exalt monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exalt monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun, and every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never gotten tired of making them. It may be that he he has the eternal appetite of infancy, for we have sinned and grown old, and our Father is younger than we. God, what if he's he's right? 
What if we have sinned and we have, in fact, grown older than even our Father himself? What if our Creator has retained his childlike wonder while we lose it and, by extension, lose connection with our Father? Taking pleasure in life takes practice. That might sound odd. It might, you might think it comes very naturally, but consider just how many people uh, go through life believing that, that life is nothing more than just a burden, a stage, just to get through, to grind through, to make it to the finish line where there, finally, the good will be and their reward will be. I don't buy that. I don't, I don't buy that because I can't believe that a God that created this world in childlike wonder for his own pleasure wouldn't also take pleasure when we enjoy the gifts that scripture says he gives to us. You see, when I give good gifts to my children, it makes me so happy when I see them play with it. When I, buy, when I pick out books for my kids and then my son brings the book to, to me and asks me to read it to him, nothing makes me happier in my life than to just see him smile and know that I was a part of that. And in a similar way, I'm really sad when I buy him gifts and he doesn't like them or books that he doesn't want me to read to him. This Thanksgiving, practice giving thanks for the beauty and intention of our Creator. And for the simple pleasures and gifts that God has given us. For, for slow cups of coffee. For good conversations and friendships and fresh flowers if you can find them right now. And, and, and the opportunity to raise our voice and worship like we're doing tonight. For, for hot cider and, and donuts that we get to enjoy together. For long tables that are full of people tomorrow. For our kids and grandkids that we get to enjoy in our life. And for memories and for, for dreams. And for a God who makes all these things possible. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for these good gifts. God, you are our Father, a perfect Father. God, you love us beyond what we could even imagine, God. This, this unconditional grace that you demonstrate to us is sometimes hard to imagine, hard to cling to, and frankly, sometimes just unbelievable. God, thank you for even the smallest things that you have given to us, the pleasures that you have given to us, for the people we call friends and family, for the people we get to call brothers and sisters in Christ, for those that we get to spend time with, the food that we get to eat when we are with them, the cups of coffee in the morning, the fellowship that we have together. God, you are good. And you have been good to us. Give us eyes to see the goodness that you have put before us. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for making Rosewood a part of your day. Now go in peace to love and serve the Lord.